This morning, I want to talk about a father's love. A father's love. Jesus was in the midst of a gathering of tax collectors, sinners, and some Pharisees who are religious teachers. And they were only looking, the religious teachers were only looking for Jesus to do or say something against what they believed so that they could trap him or bring charges against him. Jesus had already, and we're going to go to Luke 15 in just a moment, Jesus had already shared the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, which in both cases there was searching, there was finding, there was rejoicing when the lost sheep and the lost coin was found. Jesus was teaching in parables, which a parable is an illustrated story that has a deeper spiritual meaning beyond what really appears on the surface. Jesus had told parables about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and in both cases, as I mentioned, they were searching, they were finding, they were rejoicing when what they had lost had been found. But Jesus was now telling the story of the lost of the prodigal son. That's what we've come to know if you've been in church any length of time. Or was he really telling that parable of the lost son? Luke chapter 15, go down to verse number 11. Jesus continued. I'm reading out of the NIV if you have an electronic Bible. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants who asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, 
You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm going to go back through a number of these verses just to kind of dissect this a little bit. But while this repentance of the son is important to the parable, the father's willingness to forgive and his unexpected actions are a striking illustration of the fatherly love of God for wayward human beings. It really is a beautiful picture. I really think this parable could be called a father's love and not just a lo the lost son. The story begins with two brothers and their father. And the younger brother wanted his inheritance now in verse number 12. This is something that's done normally after the death of the father. Or when the father knows he's about to die, he'll, he'll divide his goods between his sons. The firstborn son was in, entitled to two-thirds of his father's property. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. Sometimes the father would give the rights of the property, which meant that he could not dispose of it himself, though his son could sell it and retain the income. If the son sold the property, the buyer could not take possession of it until the father's death. But to give the property to one of the sons, as in this parable, was really an unusual. It just wasn't done. It was not tradition. It wasn't a part of what they would normally do. But the father granted his request and he divided up his property, giving the portion that would go to his younger son. I mean, how would it be, parents, if one of your children came to you and said, I don't want to wait till you know, you leave this earth to get my inheritance. I want you to give it to me now. I think most parents would probably say, you're out of your mind. It's just not going to happen. You'll just have to wait. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the father gave him what he asked. Verse 13 tells us that, that he gathered everything and he went off into a distant country. And he wanted to get as far away, it appears, from, as possible from his life that he had lived and also getting away from his father's influence. Imagine how the father must have felt. He saw his own flesh and blood leave, not ever knowing if he would ever see him again. I mean, he couldn't just pick up the phone or text him or anything like that. It was, it, it was a whole different time. When the younger son got to this faraway place, he spent all that he had, he squandered, and he wasted his money on wild living. He indulged in every sin imaginable. I believe the father knew how, if the father knew about how his son was living, I truly believe it would have broken the father's heart. I think it really would have just, just crushed him. When someone follows human sinful nature and yields the, and, and, and yields the temptation, Logic, reasoning, and planning and for the future really go out the window. Because that's what the business the enemy of our soul is into. He's causing us to see things in a different light that's not logical, it's not reasonable, it's not godly for sure. The younger son had not thought this out very well and, and certainly didn't have plans that there would be a famine. I mean, know that we never had plans that there would be a pandemic. Right. 
Everybody was, you know, I'm, I'm, I've watched this show on TV. It's called The Food That Built America. It's on the History Channel. It's a really interesting show of how, how uh, people got the food technology and stuff like that. And everything was just boom, boom, boom. And then in 1929, when the stock market crashed and the Great Depression started, it, it said that uh, a quarter of Americans lost their jobs. And so everybody who was just boom, 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 raking in money, and all of a sudden it was gone. Sam Walton in 1986, I believe, when there was a bust in the economy then, or a, a, a kind of a dip in, in the stock market, I believe the figure was like a billion dollars that he lost from one day to the next because the stock market's devalue. And someone asked him about it, and he says, well, it was paper when I started, and it'll be paper when I'm done. He had no money, he had no family, no real friends. They were all gone now that his money was gone. How many know that money attracts people? It attracts friends. But in verse 15, it tells us that he went to work in a pig farmer's field feeding pigs. This was the lowest form of work anywhere. It was, I mean, to the Jew, the pig was, was sacrilegious. I mean, they were unclean. Even in Egypt, those who worked with pigs were not even allowed to marry into the lowest classes of family. They were just seen as, as just barely human. As he fed the pigs, these pods, these carapods, you should look them up, they're really dried out husks that just don't look very tasty at all. Not really enough, not really fit for a man to eat. He was so hungry, he was looking at those pigs. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we've got, we've got a granddaughter who's learned to go to the dog bowl and to take the dog food out and not to put it in her mouth now. But when she was young, that's what she would do only because that's where most things went. And so now she'll take it out and she'll try to feed it to the dogs or she'll give it, you know, put it back. But can you imagine... Can you imagine your pet looking there and saying, man, that food you're eating looks pretty good. No, we, we would never say that. But when you're starving and you have nothing to eat, it sure looks a lot different. That's why people go through garbage to find food when they don't have food. This man was looking at the, the pig's food and thought, man, this really... Uh, that, that looks like I could eat that. No one would give him any food. He was walking death because of the famine. The pig's food looked so good and apparently the pig farmer wouldn't even feed him as well. I mean, he probably had him trapped. You got no, nowhere else to go. Anywhere else you go is going to be worse than this because there's a famine in the land and everybody's doing without. You have no hope. Apparently, this... Outlook on life changed his mind. I mean, how the father's heart would have been broken to see his son doing without and to see his son desiring pig food. His desire for sin's pleasures took him to that sin and then sin used him up and spit him out and left him feeling in despair and feeling hopeless. Author and Bible teacher K. Arthur reminds us that sin will take you farther I think I've got this on the screen to put up there. Sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. 
If this son had seen the future where, of where he was headed, he might think that he would never have decided to leave his home. Never have decided if I knew what the future held. But sin's, sin's temptation never shows that picture to us. They only, sin only shows us the next step and never shows the end result. In verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he realized that even his father's servants had more food than they can eat. That, than they can eat, and here he is starving. And so he decides in verse 18 to go back to his father and make things right. I want to say to you, fathers, love your children regardless of what they do or what they say. Period. Love your children. Love your grandchildren. Separate the choices they make, the actions they take, and the words they speak from who they are and love them regardless. As parents and even grandparents, we have an overwhelming influence on our children's lives. When this younger son wanted to leave home, his father could have reacted like most and, and, would, and, and likely would have told him that he was no longer welcome in his home. You go out that door and you're never coming back. You're no longer my son. Words like that have been uttered in modern times as well. He could have had a confrontation. But what did he do? He expressed a father's love toward his son. The father loved his sons. For all he knew, the younger son was dead. He hadn't seen him in years. Because he was gone. But because he treated his son with love, hear me, the door was still open. Yes. He knew he could go back to his father because of how he left his father. His father showed him only love. It was, it was room for a relationship to be restarted and to be renewed. Fathers and mothers too, don't ever burn a bridge between you and your children or your grandchildren. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the cost. If you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you must start with your own family. It's got to start at home. And if there's some repairing that needs to be done, take the initiative and repair. It doesn't matter what they may have done or what you may have done, but we need to reach out to our children in unconditional love always. The son had it all planned out, rehearsing in his mind that he would go back, not as a son, but as a hired servant and ask for forgiveness. I'm just going to go in at the lowest level. I don't even care about what, how things were before. I'm just going to live like the servants because they're living better than I live. And I'm going to go back there and I'm just going to be a servant for my father. And verse 20 tells us that the son didn't have time to get out this rehearsed confession before his father made a bold move. In verse number 20, in a society where this situation would call for the son 
begging at the feet of his father to show mercy, the father apparently watched intently for his son's return, which I'm sure was one of many times that he'd probably gazed down the road in the horizon wondering, I wonder if I'm ever going to see him again or if he's ever going to come back. And what the father did next was so rare and so unusual because it was undignified for an older man to lift his robes and to run like he did. But he did so, undignified though it may have been, unprecedented, uncultural, and untraditional. He lifted up his robes and he ran, but the tradition of the world or the time would not keep him from getting to his son right now and making things the way they should be. The father, while still a long distance from approaching his son, was filled with compassion and never stopped him. He never stopped caring for him. You know, if you see a kid running someplace, you don't think anything about it. I mean, you think, man, that kid's not very well behaved. Maybe you'll think that if it's in an indoor place. But you see an adult man do that, and it gets your attention. It gets your attention. I was, my grandpa was a Pentecostal preacher. I love my grandpa. And he was uh, a little hard of hearing. And uh, my grandma and grandpa were married for 50 years when he passed away. I, I lived with them at the time we got married. That's been 34 years ago. And he and I were out in the backyard one time. And grandma came out on the patio and she hollered out at him. And he looked up there and he said, what? And she said something again. He said, what'd she say? And I said, well, I'm really not sure. My grandpa, 70 years old, in a dead run, about 30 yards, takes off from, the, the, from behind the shed to the front of the patio. And he runs up to my grandma and gets right up there while she's standing. He says, what did you say? And she said, oh, Lawrence, just stop it. <laughs> I'd never seen my grandpa run. But it was funny. It caught my attention, and I've never forgotten it. But the father ran, and he fell on his neck, the King James tells us, and, and kissed him in this horrible, filthy condition. The father's love would not be stopped which speaks volumes in a spiritual context. I believe that the son was absolutely surprised by the dis this display of love from his, by, his, by his father, but he already had to rehearse the speech in his mind. In verse 21, he starts out with his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, in verse 22, did not even acknowledge what the son had said. He ignored it, and he turned to one of the servants, and he says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Didn't even speak about what the son was saying. Because he had an agenda. The robe was a sign of honor showing that the son no longer had to live in need. The ring on his finger was important because it was a symbol of the family. With the family ring, he could transact business in the name of the family. 
showing that the father did not need to hear a rehearsed confession to again put his confidence in his son, outwardly showing not only to his son, but to everyone else, this man is my son. The sandals on his feet are a symbol of his freedom from the bondage that he had been in. Slaves had their shoes taken from them and would only get them back if they were set free. These shoes were a reminder to this reminder to that that with every step he took he was walking in the freedom and the blessing of his father. In verse 23 he he was told to bring out the fattened calf which was reserved for the, for the most important guests. But it was prepared and a feast and a celebration began because in verse 24 he said this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found. So they begin to celebrate. What a celebration. As the father and the son were restored because of the father's love. Fathers, love your children and commit to continuing to build those relationships because they need you. Just as this story talks about a son and a father's relationship, what makes this story a parable is the deeper spiritual meaning of a heavenly father's love for each one of us. In verse 28, as the younger son, in verse 20, he, he, he told us the father, the, the, as with the younger son, the father takes the initiative in restoring the relationship with the angry older brother. And the parable, uh, this, this parable as a whole, points to the sovereign love of our Heavenly Father, God, who actively seeks out unworthy sinners. Those who do not even seek Him. In verse 29, the son says, I've been slaving for you. And this statement indicates that the older, older brother viewed his relationship with the father as a reward for meritorious behavior. In other words, uh, I, I, I've, I've worked for you and you should see what I've done for you as so valuable. And look at this other son. But how many know that the Heavenly Father does not look upon what we do for Him. He looks on us with regard to love and compassion and actions from us. Do not keep His love away. His love comes regardless of the action, good or bad. His love is there. We'll never be able to be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he said in verse 31, My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Just like a loving father's response to the undeserving son shows salvation is not a reward uh, for good works, but it's entirely a gracious gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of your, is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift. There are those here that perhaps have become like the lost son and have left the fellowship of the Heavenly Father. Can I tell you that He loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son just for you? So that you would not have to pay sin's penalty. Whether you've never asked him into your heart. Or whether you've served him before. But now you're far away from God. He's waiting for you. To come to him. He will never condemn. Never. He doesn't ridicule. 
He loves you and He wants you to receive His love. And you don't have to live far away from His love. You can come home to the Heavenly Father and experience the ultimate Father's love. Now here is one of the biggest barriers for those who have once walked with God and have walked away from their faith in Christ. One of the biggest barriers is I'm not sure I can live the Christian life, so I'm not going to try. I know because I've been there. I'm not going to pretend if I'm going to keep living in sin, and I don't know if I can not live in sin. No, you can't not live in sin except through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And just like the lost son who came home, and he thought, well, if I do this, 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 maybe the Father will accept me and I can, I can just at least be there. May I tell you, there is nothing you can do to be acceptable by God except come to Him and just say, I can't do anything unless I just trust you. And that's all you have to do is trust Him. You trust Him. And His love automatically pours out. He doesn't wait for you to be good. He doesn't wait for you to change. He doesn't wait for you to live right. He says, just as you are, I love you. I've always loved you. I've never stopped loving you. Maybe there have been times in the past where you've sensed the love of God. Maybe you don't sense His presence right now. Can I tell you, He still loves you? He's never stopped loving you? Whether you feel His love or not is irrelevant. He loves you, period. When the enemy of your soul comes at you and says, Oh, where is your God now? Look at the things that you're going through. You may think you're in a situation similar to the, to the lost son. Well, the lost son chose to be there. And all this thing happened. And maybe you made a bad decision and chose to be in the circumstances that you are. Maybe you have no control over the circumstances. But in either case, God loves you so much that He gave Jesus to be the salvation for you so that you wouldn't have to live in that way. It doesn't matter whether you can feel His love or not. Now, I am thankful when I can feel the presence of the Lord. Like we felt earlier in the service today, I am thankful for that. But if I never felt that presence again, I know what the Word of God says. I know what the Word of God says. And I can trust Him. And I know that it's real. In verse 32, the Father said, But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was lost and is found. And just in the case of the lost sheep and the lost coin, the lo when the lost son comes home, there's celebration and there's rejoicing. When you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice and we here rejoice with you as well because it is something to rejoice about because you've been restored to the Heavenly Father and His love will flow to you and through you so that you don't have to live in that way anymore 
The Father's love leads to rejoicing and celebration because restoration of relationships is what our Heavenly Father wants more than anything else. The lost son had been lavishly wasteful. I mean, to the off-the-scale degree. He was far away from, as far away from his father as he could be, but the son's condition was met and overwhelmed by his father's love, and it was so far off the scale, overwhelming and lavishing, that his, his father put his unconditional love back in him. I want you to see this last, this verse here, uh, verse uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Verse 8 says that He lavished on us the riches of God's grace. And I want to close with this verse from 1 John chapter 3 verse number 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. If you're far from God, why don't you come home? It's time to receive a father's love. If you've never asked him into your heart, it's time to come home. If you're far from God, it's time to come home. Let him love you just like this father in the lost son story. A father's love is so powerful and incredible. Would you trust him today for that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, God, because there is no limit to your love. And that you reach out and love us. When, even when we're unlovely. Even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, even when we don't do the things that we know that we should do. That's all the reason more why that we should come to you and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do except come home. Come home. Lord, I thank you for your love. Jesus, I accept you today. Doesn't matter what I've done, it doesn't matter where I've been, but I know that you love me unconditionally and you never condemn, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.